It was the famous playwright, George Bernard Shaw, who one time said, Some men see things as they are and ask, Why? I dream things that never were and say, Why not? Woodrow Wilson one time said, We grow great by dreams. All big men are dreamers. They see things in the soft haze of a spring day or the red fire on a long winter's evening. Some of us let these great dreams die. Others nourish and protect them. Nourish them through the bad days until they bring them to the sunshine and the light. And that always comes to those who sincerely hope that their dreams will come true. I think sometimes it's important for us to stop, to pause, And ponder our dreams, our aspirations, our hopes for the church. I think it's important from time to time for us to dream big dreams. And when I think of, and I'm speaking of our dreams, my dreams and yours, I'm not talking about your brain activity while you slept last night. And I'm not talking about some direct revelation from God that you read about in the Bible. What I'm talking about, folks, is our imagination. Our ability to see into the future. Our ability to allow our minds to envision and think about the possibilities that could be before us. Our ability to create, at least in our minds, great and grand things this church could become. We sometimes use the term dream or the term dreamer to talk about mystics and other things. And without those kind of folks, we're destined to lapse into a dull and drab existence. Because those kind of folks with their stretched imaginations can create new and bigger and better things. I'm talking about dreamers. I'm talking about visionaries. Dreamers and visionaries are people that can draw mental sketches of the future. They can take the present and stretch their imagination. They can help us reach a better, greater, and brighter tomorrow. Because without those kind of people, Without dreamers and without visionaries, we're destined to have a dull, drab, listless existence. 
We're destined to reach a place where nothing ever changes, nothing ever gets better, nothing ever improves. Nothing ever gets done and nothing is ever accomplished. And that's precisely why dreams, hopes, longings, and aspirations are vital for any group of God's people. Dreams, hopes, longings, and aspirations put a future in front of us that we would want to reach for. Dreams and hopes and aspirations make us believe the effort is worth making. And our dreams and our visions and our hopes tell us that there is something out yonder that's worthwhile. There's something of value in our toil, our work, our sacrifice, and our labor of the day. Nehemiah shows us the power of a dream. Think about the history of captivity that the Jews suffered at the hands of the Babylonians. Think about the destruction that took place in the city of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. The city was utterly destroyed. The gates of the city were burned with fire, and Nehemiah was despondent over the condition of the city of Jerusalem, of his home. I'm going to read from Nehemiah chapter 2, and I'm going to begin with verse 11. Nehemiah writes, So I came to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well into the dung port and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went out to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire come. And let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands. For this good work. Let's face it. Sometimes life's a mess, isn't it? 
Sometimes things have gone wrong. Sometimes it feels like everything has fallen apart. And it's at that point that it looks like it's a permanent defeat. When that happens, it's time to get a dream of what it ought to be. It's time to get a dream of what it can be with the help of God. If anybody ever shows us the power of hope, it's the disciples of Jesus. Remember the crucifixion? Jesus is hanging there on that cross. He's suspended between heaven and earth. He died. And all of His disciples ran away. The centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. But everyone fled. And they were depressed. And they were dejected. They thought it was all over. It had ended. They watched Him die. They watched Him put in that tomb. They knew He was gone. You remember the conversation that took place on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24? Cleopas and his companion, who is unnamed, have been to Jerusalem. They've witnessed the crucifixion. They saw Jesus die on the cross. They saw Him placed in the tomb. And they're making their long journey back to Emmaus, their home. And they're talking about the events that have taken place. Talking about the crucifixion. They're talking about the death of Jesus. A stranger joins himself to them and is walking along with them. They don't recognize him. And the stranger said, well, what are, what are you talking about exactly? They said, oh, you don't know? And they said there was this wonderful man. He, he healed people and he, he raised the, the dead and made the lame walk. He was a wonderful man. And he's just been put to death in Jerusalem. He just died there. We watched him die. We watched him buried. And we had such great hopes. said, so we had hope. We hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. You see, they misunderstood the mission of Jesus. They invited the stranger to go home with them. They made that long journey back to their home in Emmaus. They went into their little abode and they invited the stranger to have a meager meal with them. And when they sat down to eat, and the stranger blessed the bread they were about to eat and broke it, it says their eyes were opened and they realized Jesus had been the one walking with them from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And suddenly things looked a lot brighter than they had just a few hours earlier. Sometimes in our own lives. Sometimes in our life as a church. Things have a way of looking dark. They have a way of sometimes looking bleak and sometimes desperate. We have to realize something, folks. We're dealing here with the eternal purposes of God. We're dealing with God's plans that were made before the foundation of the world. And we have to know 
that God has great things in store for the future. But for us to achieve great things for God in the future, we've got to cooperate with God. We can't, we can't fight against God. We've got to have a dream for the future. We've got to have a hope for the future. Well, what if we don't have a hope? What if we don't have a dream? Folks, if we don't have a dream, we're stuck where we are with what we've got. If we don't have a dream, we are mired in the muck and the mud of the status quo. And our dream has to be higher than that. Do you recall a passage from Andrea del Sarto by Browning? You don't have to. I'll remind you of it. Browning said a man's reach should exceed his grasp. Or what's a heaven for? We must have a dream of great things for this church. And if we don't, if we don't dream big dreams and great dreams, then you know what we're doing? We're demonstrating our doubt in God's plans. And we're demonstrating our doubt in everything that God has encouraged us to hope for. Not having a dream. Not having a vision is just another way of saying that there is a lack of faith in what God can do. A lack of faith in what God wants us to do in partnership with Him. We've got to be a church with a serious, sincere, and deep faith. You remember the young men of Daniel chapter 3? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by name. They were about to be thrown in the fiery furnace unless they did the king's bidding and ate the king's dainties and defiled themselves. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. They said, we're not going to do that. Our God will deliver us. But if our God doesn't deliver us, the answer is still the same, King. We're not going to eat your dainties. We're not going to defile ourselves. What did those young men have? They had faith. I get the idea you could not discourage Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their faith was too great. Their faith was too deep. Faith gives rise to to hope and hope gives rise to courage and courage gives rise to the kind of living that does not know defeat 
kind of like a story Daryl Royal tells in his book, Daryl Royal Talks Football. He talks about growing up in Hollis, Oklahoma, and there was a buddy of his. And he and this buddy walked home from school together every day. And there was this bully a couple of years older that was always trying to fight. Well, one day they just locked up after school. And this buddy of Daryl Royals, he just got pummeled in that fist fight. And they got up and dusted off and they started walking home. And Daryl Royals said to his buddy, he said, Hey, man, there ain't no shame in, in him whipping you like that. He's two years older. He's bigger and stronger. He said, He didn't lick me. We're going to fight again tomorrow. It ain't over. Courage knows no defeat. Faith gives rise to hope, and hope gives rise to courage, and hope gives rise to a kind of courage that does not give in to things that would crush a lesser man. And that's the kind of faith we need today. Hebrews chapter 11 lists the heroes of the faith. It's God's hall of fame of faithful. Our future is going to be determined by the degree to which we live with the same faith that those folks had in Hebrews chapter 11. Because folks, here's the deal. You toss out our faith. Throw it away. You toss out our faith and we're left on our own. And we have nothing then but our own wisdom, our own strength, our own power, and our own abilities. And if all we've got is our own wisdom and our own strength and our own power and our own ability, we ain't got much. There's not a lot there to be positive about. But if we stand four square, securely in our faith in God and His Son, Jesus Christ, then is when we tap into a power that always has and always will lift God's people to victory. We've got to have a serious and sincere faith. We've also got to promote something. We've got to promote an atmosphere of love and an atmosphere of respect. And an atmosphere of love and respect means that we leave off carping and criticizing and fault-finding and griping and belly-aching and complaining and all the relatives of that family. It means we don't ever look for an opportunity to get someone told. I've known a lot of folks through the years that were always really quick to give somebody a piece of their mind. Problem was, most times folks that want to give somebody a piece of their mind so quick usually hadn't got anything to spare. It means we will not look for opportunities to get someone told. It means we will look for opportunities to cooperate with the program of work, whatever that program of work is. 
the program we're going to accomplish as a congregation. It means we'll support the church. We'll support it with our presence. We'll support it with our undivided loyalty, our finances, and our positive words of encouragement. How many of you ever remember your mother telling you, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all? This means yes. This means no. Just want to see who's listening. How many of you ever told your children, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all? My mother always had a way with words. My grandmother said the only tact, she said, Marjorie, the only tact you know is contact. My mother said to me, she would look at me and she'd say, Sweetie, if you can't say something nice, keep your mouth shut. Yes, ma'am. If you can't say something good about the church, if you can't say something good about the church, the church you're a part of, then just don't say anything. But for goodness sake, Don't go out among the community and talk negatively about the church of my Lord. Don't do it. We forget sometimes. The church is not a political party. The church is not the Congress. The church is not the government. The church is the body of Christ. And when we do something that harms the church, or we get out among the people of the world and we talk negatively about the church, we do positive harm to the body of Jesus Christ. like the writer of the Hebrew letter would say in Hebrews 6 and verse 6, we crucify the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35? He said, a new commandment I give you. What is that, Lord? That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. When Paul wrote the first Corinthian letter, he wrote that beautiful chapter on love in 1 Corinthians 13. Here's Philip's translation of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. The love of which I speak is slow to lose patience. It looks for a way to be constructive. It is not possessive. It is neither anxious to impress, nor does it cherish inflated ideas of its own importance. Love has good manners and does not pursue selfish advantage. It is not touchy. It does not keep account of evil or 
gloat over the wickedness of others. On the contrary, it is glad with all good men when truth prevails. Love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. It can outlast anything. It is, in fact, the one thing that still stands when everything else has fallen. This love is far more important than we might think. The future of this church and the future of any church is failure unless love becomes something real and not just something to talk about. People that love God are folks that never tire of God. They don't get tired of hearing about God. They don't get tired of learning about God. They don't get tired of serving God. They don't get tired of giving God the preeminent preeminent place in their lives. People that love each other are people who learn that love is more than a word. Love doesn't treat people badly. Love doesn't hurt people intentionally. Love always performs as if other people are important. God has a purpose for us. I'm sometimes reminded of a man that stopped one time to chat with a farmer. farmer was out on his place. He was building a building. This stranger stopped and chatted with the old man. And he asked the old gentleman, he said, what are you building? He said, well, son, if I can rent it out, it's a rustic cottage. And if I can't rent it out, it's a cow shed. Well, too often that's our vision of building a church. We'll throw a few ideas together. We'll do this or that and see how it turns out. We don't have a plan. We've got to connect our plan with God's plan. God sent us into this world to preach the gospel of the lost. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're supposed to ease pain and suffering by helping others. Now, I'm going to be honest with you right now, right here. 11.41 a.m. Sunday morning. September the 29th, 2019. I thought I'd tell you what time it was so you wouldn't have to turn around and look at the clock see how long this was going to go. But at that precise time I just mentioned, I'm going to tell you something. Write it down. I believe that great things are possible for us. Do you? There are great opportunities that are placed before us. We have great potential. One of the keys to our success is a positive attitude. A deep abiding faith in God. And we must labor to develop an atmosphere of love. Not lip service love. Real love. Love for God 
and love for each other. And approach our work believing that what we're doing connects to and fulfills the eternal plans of God Himself. I'm not going to ask you this morning to do anything for the Lord or do anything for God. I'm going to ask you to do something else. I'm going to ask you to be something for God. Say to the Lord in your heart this morning what the words of the song say, All to Jesus I surrender. That's what He wants. That's what He demands. An unconditional surrender of my stubborn human will to the divine will of God. The question is, is that a commitment that we're willing to make? It's His invitation as we stand. Well, we stand.